Well, in John's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse 44, Jesus himself tells us that Satan is the father of lies. And we're living in a world today where we can understand just what that means. It's certainly not alone, but Mr. Putin has demonstrated to us just how pervasive and effective lying can be. He has told them so many lies and the majority of the nation has been duped. And John chapter 8, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and revealing to them that their opposition to him and their teaching of the people the same to do likewise is in fact the devil's lying work. And in fulfilment of all Old Testament teaching, Jesus had come at God's appointed time into this world and he's saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. What did the religious people say to him? Well, they remembered that he was born of a virgin and they say to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And you say there's religious people, those who are teaching the nation, supposedly, they were denying the truth of God's word, denying that this Jesus among them was indeed the eternal God, the holy God. And these religious people continue to spread their lies right up into the cross. And he continues to spread lies today. And the world as a whole will accept them, will accept all that he says. You don't believe God exists, do you? And many people don't. They say, no, well, of course I don't. I don't believe that. The lies come and say, in the light of science, you cannot believe that God created this universe, can you? That's not possible. No, we scientists, we know better. So Satan uses these men who most look up to as intelligent men. And they say, oh, no, of course not. No, 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 we understand now much more. Can't believe the word of God. In fact, you don't have to believe that Bible that uh, the church believes in. You, can't, you don't have to believe that that Bible is the word of God. Can you believe that God came down to a cross and let men put him on the cross and then raised him up? Can you, can you believe things like that? 
Oh, of course not, that's not heaven. Of course there isn't, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's it, that's it. And on and on he lies, and people of this world will believe those lies. I didn't read this week, but I couldn't, I couldn't lay my hand exactly on it, but the more preposterous the lie someone has said, the more people will believe it. Sometimes I do listen to, particularly Mr. Puritan, I suppose, this week, you can believe it. The preposterous lies that come. And I, James, he hits the nail on the head in that small portion we read. And uh, he's saying that this book, the Bible, is like a mirror. It shows exactly what we are as men and women. It shows exactly how God is dealing with us. And we hear it. We read it. But do we believe it? Do we obey it? Are we doers of the word? So if we don't do that, we're like a man uh, who gets up in the morning, is, uh, looks in the mirror, hair's in a mess, uh, he's sleep-filled with bleary eyes, and uh, he's got stubble on his chin. And then he goes away and he forgets what he looks like. And he goes out into the world looking a mess and forgets what he saw in the mirror. And that's what James is saying we do if we read God's word and then we forget it. We turn away from it. We are not doers of it. Then we're like that man. And so Jeremiah, in chapter 18, God takes the opportunity to show truth. The truth that all of us can understand quite simply. The Jews of that day were not listening to God's servants. The prophets, Jeremiah was telling them, if you go on living like you are, if you go on, defying God then the nation will be taken into exile your land will be devastated they were leaving God out of their thinking and as a nation they were reaching rock bottom idolatry, rebellion self-satisfaction self-trust God had been saying through the prophets that he would bring judgment on them if they didn't listen, if they didn't change. And he would take them into exile. But I was so full of self-confidence, so full of self-satisfaction. God won't do that to us. Of course he wouldn't. We are God's chosen people. And on the whole, we're quite good. You know, we go into the temple, we, we uh, 
pay our tithes. We're, we're quite good people. If you look around the world, you can see far worse. Why, we, why would God do that to us? And so they've gone on and they finally come up and say, remember this. This is why God can't do it to us. God has promised the Messiah will come through our nation. So we must be okay. God can't do these things to us. God has to honor that promise. So God, through Jeremiah, wants to tell them the truth. And it's the truth for you and I today. No question about it. A truth for this nation of ours. A nation that on the whole rejects this almighty creator God. And in this chapter 18, the action takes place in three different places. First of all, in the potter's house. Obviously, Jeremiah knew where to go. We assume that there was a, a local potter uh, very near to Jeremiah's residence. And he makes his way there at God's command. And he sees the potter at work. There he is at the spinning mill. And of course, that day the potter had to get the wheel spinning by uh, using his feet to turn the wheel. And that was how Jeremiah saw him. That he saw there was clay on top of the wheel. And the potter is busy there making something on that wheel, something of the clay. And then the potter says that there's a flaw, there's something wrong with this vessel that is made. And he puts his hand on it, just crushes it down. It's going to start again. And Isaiah, uh, sorry, Jeremiah gets the message. And he leaves the potter's house and he goes into the street. And so the second place that the action takes place is in the street. Jeremiah preaches the message to the people. God has showed him what he wants him to know. God has showed him what he wants him to say. And he goes into the street, preaches the message. Verse 12, the response. You're wasting your time, Jeremiah. Jeremiah goes on to the judgment part of the message. The response is, don't listen to him. They try to destroy his character and his scandalous gossip, verse 18. Just the same today, isn't it? A few people who go on the doors and uh, take the message there, they notice. People don't want to know. They're wasting your time. So, first of all, the potter's house, God's message. And the streets of Jerusalem to proclaim that message. Thirdly there, verse 19, the secret place. This is the place that Jeremiah can go when he's under pressure, when he's threatened. He knows that door is always open into God's presence. And God will always strengthen and uphold him. 
And it's good that he learned that and he conveys that message to us. So there are three places of action and I want to ask three questions. I want to ask you and I want to ask myself three questions. Do you know, do you know that God does whatever he likes? Now I'm not asking do you know that God can do whatever he likes. I'm asking you the question, do you know that God does whatever he likes? Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Now the father of lies will dispute that. But that is what Jeremiah has to see, proclaim as he watches the potter. God's dealings with the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem and indeed all the nations of that day, his dealings with each and everyone then and today is likened to this potter and the clay. Clay is simply clay. And as you look at that picture of the potter, you see that the potter is in absolute control of that clay. The potter gets up in the morning, he comes to the workshop, prepares the clay, puts it on the wheel, and he does whatever he pleases with it. Verse 3, as Jeremiah enters, the, the potter is shaping something on the wheel, notices the floor, and so he puts his hand on the top of that floored vessel and just flattens it down. After all, it's just a lump of clay, isn't it? That's all it is. And he begins another vessel. And if you look at verse 4, it says that he does as it seems good to the potter to make. A clay has no right at all to turn round to the potter and say, why have you made me like this? The potter has uncontestable authority over that clay, hasn't it? Irresistible power over that clay. Men and women, you and I, nations, empires, are in the hands of the potter, the holy potter. That's absolute rubbish, that's the father of lies. What are you saying? Well, the word of truth says the holy potter chooses everlasting life for whom he will. And the holy potter says that he lays aside whom he will. Scripture says quite clearly he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Whom he will, he hardens. All the rights are in the potter's hand. There are none in the, hand, uh, in the hand of the clay. 
And that's so humbling, isn't it? We talk a lot about rights today. Everybody has rights. Well, it's a long time ago, but I can remember my parents saying to me when I was very young that their parents used to say to them, children are to be seen and not heard. But today, children generally, as a general rule, have rights. And indeed the Scottish Government has banned smacking. Many agree with that. But the truth, God's word says, he who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Total opposite. You see how the devil lies? People will believe it. Today, parents and grandparents danced largely to the tune of the children. They rule the home, they have rights. It's a very difficult message for us all. God's word is the truth. And the father of lies has sought to turn our thoughts to our own way. It's a very difficult message to think that the father of lies has brainwashed us. But it's for you and I. We are so full of pride so often. All power is in the hands of the Holy Potter. There's no power in the clay. We have to think to ourselves, as finite men and women, we are clay, but we have life because God breathed life into each one of us. And it's he who gives life and breath and all things, Acts chapter 17 tells us. All things are in his hands as it seems good to him. We have to state, don't we, as we look at warfare, that man is capable of inexplicably awful things. But God is not the author of that sin. It's sinners who sin. You and I. And as Jeremiah watches, the word of God comes to him. What is the right message for the people of Judah on that day is indeed the same message for you and I today. The same message comes to us. It's right for our land. There's great tension today over the scale of the debt in our land. We've amassed massive debt during COVID and uh, during the war in Ukraine. And we uh, have false ideas about society, about race, about creed, about wealth, about poverty about sexual orientation, all ideas about these things. We've got no idea 
what is coming in the future is in the hands of the potter. It's as it seems good to him. He's still in control. Just as he was in control of Judah, he's in control of every nation of this world. He's in control of this, our country too. Now, if I stop there, you would be forgiven to think that you, this God of ours is no different to the God of the Muslim or the God of the Hindu. He's distant, he's autocratic, he's going to have his way and nothing that we can do to make, to make any difference. So we can think that Christianity is just fatalism. But I tell you, Christianity is a million miles from fatalism. Because as you read the next four verses from verse 7 onwards, when you read those verses, you begin to see that God has a concern for individuals like you and I. And so our second question is, do you know what God likes and what God looks for? First one, do you know what God does, whatever he likes? Second one, do you know what God likes and looks for? The universe that God has shaped is an ordered universe. It's a moral universe. Every man, every woman is in his hands. And each of us is responsible and answerable to him. And this great and important message was given to the people of Judah before they went into exile. All spelled out clearly before them, verses 7 to 11. So think, here's a nation, here's a church, here's a family, here's an individual. You and I, we're here in this universe and we're living in a way that does not please God. We're living in disobedience to God's word. Perhaps we're lukewarm like the Laodiceans. Perhaps we lost our first love like those Ephesians. Perhaps we're letting the world in to our lives as those people in Tharatara. But if if that nation, that church, that family, that individual, if they, verse 8, turn from their sin, this great and mighty God of ours, who's a great potter, speaks to us through his word, and he forgives, and he changes his dealings with us, he treats us as responsible creatures. He's communicating with us and tells us we are responsible for the way we live. If you disobey him, disobey his word, if you sin, you are responsible. If you turn and repent of your sin, then this God is gracious. He relents of his judgment. God holds it back. 
No, of course, there's no change in God. But there's a change in you and I. God is merciful. And if we repent of our sin, he will turn back his judgments. That's what he was saying to the nation. God's ordered moral universe. God's judgment does fall on disobedience. It falls upon sin. But sin abandoned. Belief and trust in God's word receives God's mercy. It's difficult to say, but I, I hope you'll understand what I'm trying to say. God loves himself. He loves his character. And he's the only one that can do that. Because he is perfectly holy. God loves godliness. God takes that lump of clay. When he sees that floor, he breaks it down. And from that same lump makes... Uh, shapes a completely new vessel, something for his glory and honour and salvation. That's what God is, will do for us as we repent. There we are. In God's hands, we repent of our sin and he makes us into a vessel of honour and of salvation. Of course, it also works the other way around in verses 9 and 10 that uh, if we will if we, um, endeavour to live our lives in a pleasing manner to him and then we uh, turn back and uh, we rebel against him. In this ordered moral world, God is opposed to all that is godless. And he brings us another curse and anger and wrath in that day. And you see, this chapter has to be preached as a whole, otherwise you can easily misunderstand what God is doing here through Jeremiah for the people of Judah and for you and for me today is to establish in our minds the two enormous and far-reaching truths we are to see that this great eternal potter whom we worship and serve has not left us, left us in a universe where fate, luck, superstition reign. He's showing us clearly that we're all morally responsible people whose thoughts and actions matter. Your, my response to God's word and to God himself is real. You are responsible to him. We are answerable to him and him alone. God will deal with you and deal with me in his sovereignty according to the terms of our responsibility. So this is one of the most wonderful chapters of the Bible. It shows the divinity and the divine origin of the book. We have 
one of the boldest, clearest statements of the sovereignty of God. He is the potter. He's not answerable to you and me, ever. We are completely in his hands. But the father of lies will not want you to believe that. The father of lies will do everything he can to turn your mind away from that. But there it is as clear as can be in God's word, completely in his hands, but it's also one of the clearest and boldest statements of the responsibility of men and women. You and I must live godly in a God-fearing manner. If we are under the judgment of God, if we clearly disobey him, live in a worldly way, do not repent, turn from that way, then we know that we are rejected in the judgment. But if we turn away and repent of our sin, the potter works his saving work upon us and makes us into that new vessel. So we know, don't we, what God likes. We know what God looks for. This is the mirror, this book. This is what God wants. Looking for godliness, looking for Christ-likeness. And obviously I, I just can't deal with this whole chapter in, in one morning, can I? But, uh, so I've got to just skip over verses 11 to 17 because they're obvious to us all, aren't they? Jeremiah is instructed to preach God's word just as we preachers are today throughout the world. We see the response of people. It's the response of the vast majority of our nation today, probably the vast majority of the world, when they hear true preaching. Verse 12, they mock Jeremiah. <laughs> it's hopeless. What are you saying, Jeremiah? Just hopeless. And then they try to destroy his character. Verse 18, quite clear, isn't it? If you read that, come, let us devise plans against Jeremiah. Why? Why? Because he's told them the truth. And the truth goes against the lies of the devil that we've been imbibing for years and years. And then there's this response to the people. In verses 13 to 17, where God says he will bring judgment upon him. The Judeans reject the preaching of the word. Nothing's going to happen to us. We're decent people. We may not. Obey all the scriptures. Uh, yeah, there are bits and pieces we don't. But to bring, to scatter us, make desolation of our land, no way. No way. And that's the response today. 
because we seek to preach God's word we proclaim that so are we wasting our time as preachers have I spent 60 years preaching God's word for nothing have you taught in Sunday school for 20, 30 years for nothing are true Christians wasting their breath giving testimony in their lives day by day what does God want us to do when his word is so consistently rejected? What did Jeremiah do? He was rejected, his character and his standing vilified. Things seemed hopeless to him. And Jeremiah goes to prayer, he goes to God in verse 19. It's the only place to go when everything is beyond us. Sometimes as Christians we feel that. Is anybody listening? Are we preaching for nothing? But we go to the Holy Potter. We go to the one who is sovereign Lord of all. But things are beyond us. We go to him. Jeremiah was often there. And amazingly, the Lord Jesus Christ was often there. Here he was, the Son of God, but he was often at the place of prayer. The Apostle Paul, that great apostle there, found strength and help and guidance. Just as Christians down the years, down the ages, and we need that strength to continue. Many Christians, they live courageously and boldly for the Lord and they know that this is the place to go. We see here a man moved by the Spirit of God. God has spoken to him in the potter's house, told him what to do, go and preach the word, he's gone and done it and then he's been vilified. He's moved by the Spirit of God and he's in tune with the purposes and plans of God and and so his prayer to God is prophetic. He sees the people's rejection is total. And you know, I think to myself, as he watched the potter and he drew it back to his mind and then he saw what was happening, he just realised that there was only one way now, and that was judgement. How could this nation be saved? And yet in his own mind he had to think to himself, but Messiah has been promised through this nation. And yet he still prays, still prays that God will bring about his purposes. And that there will come a day when this broken vessel of a nation will be restored looks hopeless it looks helpless maybe we can say that about our land today we can say is there any point should we go on preaching should we go on teaching in Sunday school well we come to God and we ask him to listen we ask him to bring about his purposes 
we see that Jeremiah says that uh, he has been given evil for the good he was doing. God does give good for evil or else no one would ever be saved. What do we do? We give good when people give good to us and in our minds we want to give evil to those who do evil to us. But Israel was so wicked that they gave evil for good. Jeremiah is giving to them God's message clearly that would save them, that would give them life, that would give them a future. And they return evil onto Jeremiah. And so they gave evil for good. Jeremiah had been so faithful and good to them, spoken to him all that God had given to him. And they seek to destroy him. And his preaching had been prophetic, and now his prayer is the same. Preaching and prayer are what God uses more than anything else to bring about his purposes. You know, there should always be a certain fear when we sit under God's preached word. But there ought to be anticipation when God's people pray. You know, John Knox, a Scottish preacher, if you read about him, it says that people were terrified when he preached preached in the power of God. People were absolutely terrified. But it was far worse when he prayed. When people realised he was praying to the sovereign God. Well, my time is up. This is a powerful prayer. It's from a man who's been moved by the Spirit of God. He's proclaimed God's word. Seen the people utterly rejected. And he's asking God to fulfill his purposes, however dark they will be, because he knows that God has all things in his hands, and there will come a day when he will restore the nation and he will bring the Messiah through the nation. The Christian is always confident that God's ways are perfect. Christian always believes God's word that all things are working together for good to them that love him. So I say to you this morning, do you know that God does whatever he likes? Do you know that he is indeed sovereign over all things? I ask you, do you know what God looks for in your life? Then get rid of all that is ungodly. Repent of your sin. Come to him. He'll make that new vessel. And 
you who labour in God's word among the Sunday school and as you go about your business on the doors and as you live in this present world, do you know where to go when you see or when you feel everything around you is hopeless and all your witness just seems to be a, a pointless exercise? Go to the secret place. Pour out your heart there to this sovereign God who will work all his purposes. May God speak to us. May he cause us just to think of those three questions in our minds, have them upon our minds through the week and come to the conclusion that the father of lies is rampant. But you we have in our hands, we have in this book, the truth of God's word, for his name's sake.